0: Kosuke Kawaguchi is the primary developer of Jenkins a continuous integration tool he's also the CTO of cloudbees which provides enterprise Jenkins kosuke welcome to software engineering Daily
1: hello thank you for having me
0: what is continuous integration
1: right so um the I think the for me it means sort of more automations as a means of freeing up people's time because when I was working as an individual engineer like I did it I had to do a lot of things aside from just typing in the code, and when I tried to think about how to become more productive, I thought, "Well, we need to push more work off to other people, other computers, basically." So that's how I—that's how it how it started for me. I think you know the the original term "continuous integration" was kind of defined a little bit differently, really narrowly focusing more on the integration part, as in the like integration as act of assembling lots of pieces. But I think nowadays, when people talk about that, you know, the the, the aspect that emphasizes is automation. So that's how I see it.
0: And what problem does it solve?
1: Right. Um. So the yeah, so, so you know, I talked about the touched about automation a little bit. So um, it used to be the case like whenever I made some change in my code base, I wanted to make sure that it doesn't break somebody else. That my, basically my colleague. So I have to make sure that you know, I run tests all the time locally before I send in my changes, stuff like that. Um, and then I don't have to do that anymore.
0: Good. Uh,
1: but um, the, but I think the so once I started doing it, I kind of recognized the more important aspect of it, which is that it's kind of act as a safety belt. You know, you have this confidence that if even if you make some mistakes, and we all do make mistakes, you um, do. Like I have this confidence that the software, my automation around me is going to catch those problems. So I can be a little bit more aggressive about making changes, like the things that I might refrain from doing. Otherwise, I might be willing to take on because I feel like I'm safe. And I, I, I realized that that made a lot of difference.
0: For developers who don't know what continuous integration is, could you describe it by giving an example maybe of a a feature, like how would you develop a feature and then use continuous integration?
1: Right. So I think that the very first thing that the often people knew to this try would be put the build on this server. So every, basically, every time somebody checks a new change into the source code system, then somebody so a program like Jenkins would notice that and runs the build somewhere, and then. Uh, basically publish the report, so basically broadcast the results. So if, so if the build fails, it will, you know, raise a flag and, you know, uh, the, the sounder, sound alarm siren and say, hey, the build is broken. So as soon as like you make a little mistake, well, often these mistakes are very little mistake, then you, the guy who made the mistake get you know. And then so it, you, it sort of reduces the window in which things are broken. And then you know, so that then once people get the idea that like automation like this is really helpful, they kind of take it on from there. So like now, not just POS, but you also run the tests. No, not just run the tests, but let's also like run the deployment somewhere so that humans can go to this site and then always see the latest software in the works, and that helps designers. And then so gradually, the scope of automation expands, and that's how I see it.
0: Fascinating. Um- so, continuous integration originated with extreme programming. What is extreme programming?
1: right, yeah, so that's actually a good question because I thought you know the I think the continuous integration as a practice was, I is kind of has its own origin, and I think the extreme practice I think of it as an umbrella term to basically govern various different practices that you know, try to really think out of the box to, you know, improve the productivity of developers. So I'm I'm kind of curious, like, you know, whether this origination of these efforts are related, but I do really like this. I feel like it's empowering to think that, you know, the act of developing software has a lot of room for improvement. And when I think about extreme programming, I think it's the general, the, the, the idea that I, inspires me is this very notion that this, you can, you can very radically change the way you work and then can become more productive. And I like that.
0: So continuous integration allows for a higher level approach of continuous deployment or continuous delivery. Differentiate continuous integration from a continuous delivery or continuous deployment.
1: Right. So um, the from like when I when I put my like individual engineer hat on, um, I think those are actually quite incremental because they both kind of is like so the continuous integration would generally be a term that focuses on build and test automations. When we talk about continuous like in many ways, it's just the same kind of automation but really just expanded down the food chain. So it be involving deployment, testing on the like a staging environment. So sort the of controlling the flow from like a stage into release and so on. So, you know, so that's that's quite incremental in that sense. But at the same time it's kind of quite a phase shifting change because when we talk about the continuous integration to managers, like you know, it's they, they did not well, the business people in other words, we'll not grok what we are trying to do. It's still very technical, like engineering concerns. Whereas with the kind of if you expand the scope all the way to the continuous delivery, you could suddenly talk about things in terms that the, the business people understand in terms of the pain points, because they, they, they understand the pain of having an idea and taking time to the executions. And then, when we say the continuous delivery is trying to reduce that time, that is something they really appreciate, so you know, finding this like a the proper vocabulary to kind of appeal to them has been really useful so to me, that's the kind of like key key moment that that where this made a material phase shift
0: so you've motivated the idea of continuous integration and continuous delivery um what are the costs of implementing continuous integration
1: yeah, so the Fortunately, so the the, the interesting thing is that in the United States, like where are and in, in here, I never had a problem of like explaining the need for some to explain to somebody that they should be doing this. Like you know, everyone I talk to, like they already saw that we need to do something like this. They're just not sure how to do it. But when I go to Japan, where I came from, I still get a, get to talk to a lot of people who, for whom this is not this is not something that's obvious. I have to kind of explain why they need to do it. And then honestly, like it's something that is struggle. And um, it's kind of like being asked my daughter, like why I, you know, certain, some questions that the kids ask, like, you know, you can't really answer them. But so the, I think the generally I try to do it. Um, so the cost of being cost integration, I think it's mm-hmm. there there, there are definitely some upfront cost if you haven't, um, if you haven't have any tests, for example some people don't even have, for example, the build script, that is like a the script that can do software build. Right? For them, the build is somebody going to this one machine and press this button, and then um, nothing quite, completely unautomated. Or in, in some places, they don't even have the source code management system. So if I'm talking to somebody that says, my my current biggest goal is to drive the adoption of source code management system, like I feel a little bit speechless, like how do I, I for them the cost of continuous integration must be must be looking like a uh, intuitively high. But for most, I think reasonably like a you know reasonable software development places where they have like automated reproducible build scripts and test, I think the actual cost of starting something is quite cheap. Um, and then you get so the trick is you do something a little small, like a very small, and then get some small return. And then get people hooked to the idea that they can progressively do this kind of thing better. So over the time, it slowly, you know, it improved the level the, the of automation, the dividend starts to accumulate, and then kind of it goes from there.
0: I'm curious about the frictions that you encountered in Japan when trying to pitch Jenkins to people.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I don't, I mean, I, I shouldn't name, it. I, sh- I can't name names, <laughs> <but> <laughs> careful here. But um, there, there are surprising in surprising number of projects where, for example, they have to you know they have to be disconnected from the network or they have to be very careful about um, like introducing new change um, and then so yeah. Um, so I don't know, I don't have enough, like, you know, the on the ground experience because I only get this information indirectly from people. So I have, like, I have my basically contacting these, like, a large system integrating companies, right? So they are the one that's trying to shore up the law and practices inside the company. So they are the one that's fighting the fight. And I'm trying to kind of, you know, behind them and trying to <laughs> be more up to them, right? Say, hey, say, use this new feature. That might help. And so, on. but, um, so yeah, I'd love to. It's kind of fascinating. I I'd love to get to the bottom of it, but I haven't.
0: I mean, just speaking from your own uh, cultural roots, is it a cultural issue, or is it just like an endemic issue that happened to develop in Japan for some reason, or you just have you have no idea why this this occurs.
1: Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a good question. I'd imagine it's, so the, I mean, the United States, and in particular, the Silicon Valley is kind of a special echo chamber, so maybe I'm, perhaps if I go to somewhere in the US, things might be a little bit different, but I, and I think there's a, for example, in most of the Asian countries, um, the, you know, there, there are like a, a few years basically behind of the the like a US. No, I least think least. you would find the same
0: thing if you went to like Mississippi software development or you know. I, I'm
1: not naming names. I'm are, not naming are,
0: are, okay, <laughs> I won't name I won't name state names. I'm going to offend people in Mississippi, but uh, I don't think it I don't think it necessarily has to do with like uh I, that's my my point is I don't think it has to, to do with like Japanese culture or anything as much as just like. Uh, yeah, Silicon Valley is a, a you know kind of power on the power law of de- uh, de- development uh, process adoption.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I think there's a kind of quite well. There's a sort of very stark difference between so, so there are companies in, in Japan, for example, that are competing at the world stage, and then these guys. And like, when I talk to people in, in in those places, they really have their act together. Um, or the web, the service, the companies that's running lots of games on the like I say, social gaming sites and so on. These people also have their act together, but there's also like a banks and then details and these other sectors in which they probably still don't see the technology as their core core thing. Maybe that's what's creating this under mm. Under investment. I'm just sure making a random guess here.
0: So continuous integration and continuous delivery are highly relevant to devops and this is devops week on software engineering daily so maybe you could explain why are why are continuous integration and continuous delivery so relevant to devops
1: right um, so the way i so the way i think of it is that the so devops so part of what enable devops is that the is that the so the operate you know the operation people can now like basically Develop, as in, like, do things by using the same paradigm. So it used to be that, like, when you say operations people, you think of sysadmins, they have scripts and uh, they have, like, you know, the SSH into boxes and do stuff and basically have lots of network level knowledge and so on, which is a very different, like, it looks, it felt like a very different world. Like, whereas the developers, they have a source code management system, ID, checking out the code, running tests, and stuff like that. You know, the, nowadays, with thanks to the, the tools, it's like a chef for um, chef for the, um, um, the, you know, the yeah infrastructure as code or yeah. some of these mindset that allow operations people to work more and more like developers do. So they today, I mean, they also like you know, in CloudBees, for example, we maintain our DNS server by uh, the uh, road worker, which is a and what that allows me to ask to do is like a define this entirely as code. And so whenever we make changes, that's like, you know, goes through the pull request, the code review, and you know, the, the testing by Jenkins. And then just at the end, there's like a, this process that runs and reflects the change to the production. And if something went wrong, we can roll back the chain, revert the commit, and then rerun this again. And so it becomes basically the whole work though, of operations people like start to look more and more like developers and then so it's only natural that they find if the developer discovered Jenkins being useful what like I don't know five ten years ago or something like that so as the operation people become more and more like developer in their workflow in the paradigm I feel like you know they're only it's only natural for them to also discover Jenkins being useful so that to me is kind of what what um what where the Jenkins find the audience in that community as well, and they are they're completely sold on the idea of automation that's long before DevOps sold on it. so that that also helped as well.
0: I did an interview with somebody that works at Chef, uh, Colin Campbell, and he said that he thought that DevOps is less about a specific role or set of responsibilities than an it- ideology. Um, he He related it to the idea of the lean enterprise where you have rapid experimentation and agile movement. Do you agree with this, that uh, that DevOps is sort of the process of supporting and encouraging the uh, the experimentation and the agility?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, the, I, you know, I guess a lot of people say, I think, focus on different aspects of DevOps you know for for them for some people like it's very important maybe the interesting aspect for some people is that the not having so the developers and operations people work a lot more closely kind of trying to align their goal around common goals and so on and I think that's a valid viewpoint and what you're saying I guess what what the uh, what um, what Colin said, I assume, is probably you know it's uh, also a valid aspect on its own. It's just that the, I have a like I have a particular like you know viewpoint or vehicle in this space, and for me, the really interesting aspect is the fact that um, there is a common, like an increasingly common paradigm and workflow that governs the two sets of. Like yeah, the two sets of people that that you know, because if you're talking about the same language, talking about the same culture and paradigm, it becomes a whole lot easier for them to align their interests or share their experience and so on. So that's kind of the aspect that gets me interested in.
0: So you've mentioned your company CloudBees. Uh, CloudBees provides enterprise level Jenkins support. Could you talk a little more about CloudBees?
1: Yeah. So the um, so you know the for longest time Jenkins was my hobby project, and uh, but it gradually grew to the point that the usage became more and more serious in the industries. And as it starts to hit this main street, you know, the household name companies, um, the fact that you know there's no one, else, no commercial entity to lean on for these guys when they develop a trouble start to become more painful, so they started feeling, well, if if you have, you know, basically what, you know, basically, what basically what we are trying to do, Red Hat did to Linux, like right? by having somebody that we can lean on, it really makes the solution viable for some people, right? it, you know, the, there, there are lots of people who don't care nothing about it, it's a free software, they can download it and use it, smart people could figure that out on their own. But if you're talking about the large organizational scale deployment, then, you know, this practice is adapted to the point that that's happening now every day, everywhere. And these people need to sort of need to really, really find our support and our additional value are useful. So, for example, one of our products is around um, helping people run lots of lots of Jenkins mastery in larger scale. And you know those are only interesting to let's say companies who might have like a hundred or thousands of developers, and they, these guys can't just take random open source projects and run it, be down with it. It's just not very cost effective for them. So that's the kind of area in which we provide a lot of support. Um, and then by you know, using that, we are sort of we we can put a lot more people in the open source community to move Jenkins forward. So I think you know I think it's really kind of a win-win situation.
0: You know, i've I've been doing these shows for for about three or four weeks now, and it it really has been a trend that Red Hat kind of laid the ground for a business model that people in every software vertical are following. Whether it's Cloudera or um, uh, Confluent, the Kafka company, or yeah. Ripple is doing this with uh, cryptocurrency. I mean, not exactly cryptocurrency, but it, but it's like a cryptocurrency platform, and it's basically like this is how you have a software cup co- like nine times out of ten, this is how you build your software company is like the red hat model it seems
1: yeah i think either well so as an open source guy wait the red
0: um, ha- i should say the red hat model or the oracle model
1: <laughs> yeah as an open source guy i feel like this is the like, thing we have proven that to the world that the open source has won hands down i feel like um so that, that that i feel great i mean it's really sort of as a as a as a technologist, as an engineer, like it's difficult for me to imagine building anything on top of like a proprietary thing. Uh, for me, but um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so I think it's it's a quite a proven model and the one that I find find a lot of personal joy in.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is not a, a business podcast or an entrepreneurship podcast, but. Um, one thing I, I did find interesting, uh, I just did a week of shows on databases, and one company that that did not fall in line with this Red Hat type of model was a company called MemSQL, which basically makes extremely fast SQL. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I don't know what the how you define what when you make a co- when you want to make a company that is an exception to this open source rule. But I don't know. It's it's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the for me that's kind of not a choice, but like I was already <laughs> given. I mean, I started this as sort a of hobby project, and um, so by the time this became interesting, you know, that's already had its own, its own community and following. And then I did like one thing I really love is in the open source community is this personal interaction with people around the world. So I can go to like you know lots of different places, and I can still talk to people who like who basically knows me through my work, and it's a great feeling to be, be you know, just like I said, in last week I was in this, like, uh, Copenhagen, talk, uh, meeting with Jenkins people, and we were in this pub in the street corner somewhere in Copenhagen, and I, like, I have no idea where that is, right? <laughs> but I have, I have no idea, you know, otherwise, if it if, if, if were not for Jenkins, like, I couldn't have possibly knew anyone in that area, so the fact that it opens up my world, I really love it.
0: That's very cool. So let's get back to talking about continuous delivery, continuous integration. Um, continuous delivery allows for very fast feedback. How does this fast feedback loop affect development?
1: Yeah. So I think the, so. One of it is that the it, by by reducing the time in which something is broken, it is really it makes it easier to isolate the failures and understand the problems, and so that that kind of thing. So I think you know the. It used to be that the, if, the, if one of the tests start fading, it could be left unattended for quite some time uh, because you know you don't know well yeah you just wouldn't find out. Um, so now that's fixed, which means every time something starts breaking, you can immediately pin it down to a specific change by somebody, and so that means you can you can act against it a lot, a lot more quickly. Um, but also the you know the so what how is the fast feedback cycle cycle useful? Um, I think it allows uh, the you know so that's I think it allows us. The, you know we talked about the CD versus CI. I think like a CD is a uh, sort of has this way of connecting to the business people and really like you know the The aspect that connects to the the sort of the non techies is the fact that you can push changes fast from the conception inception to the running software so for for people outside the profession that almost is the entire value of the c d to me but for us you know the engineers like uh, engineers like us have a different joy in like seeing nice this automated flow and so on but um, so, yeah, I think the so fast feedback is a like, very crucial part of the CI and CD.
0: So, um, I've worked at places that use Jenkins. I've also worked at places that don't and ha- have a different continuous delivery system, a proprietary system. So, it, it makes me think that there are, there are things that are true to all continuous delivery systems, and then there are other things that are not true for all continuous delivery systems, which in some sense means that... Uh, the all continuous delivery systems have some degree of opinion, um, and mm-hmm. so what I'm curious about is what are the ways in which Jenkins is opinionated?
1: Right. Yeah. So I think I, I'd like to think the so where the, sort of like ethos of Jenkins or like a, if there's anything like a, the founding philosophy in Jenkins, I think that would be that the, the software needs to be extensible. That is, you know, the, yes, the the Jenkins as the software out of the box needs to provide some story for the first-time users, but as you start using it, you know the developers, like engineers being engineers, like we want to, we are not, we, so we we want to kind of take it and then like adjust it to, to the to the to the model or the, to the process. So like you, as you as you start using this software, like you get the idea that oh, it would have been so much better if. If it does this little thing like a little differently, or instead of doing this, what if we can do that? Or that kind of like there are lots of little ideas like that that pop up in everyone's head. So in Jenkins, you know, what we wanted what I wanted to do is to like let people do that kind of things without without stepping onto each other's toes, right? Because we are all opinionated people, like one like a one guide solution doesn't always fit somebody else. So, in in many in, in some other places, the real art of like a, like a product management would be to try to concert, like you know, create a nice middle ground for these conflicting interests. But in Jenkins, this being like an engineer driven software, like it takes all the way to the other end. Like you know, we almost mm-hmm. like um, we almost say, all right, we let's recognize that like, we all need our own sandbox, and I want to do my own thing, but I'm gonna do it in a way that's not gonna negatively impact you.
0: So it sounds like Jenkins is opinionated in how unopinionated it is.
1: Ah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll use that. Line.
0: <laughs> okay. What are the common continuous integration patterns that you see implemented using Jenkins?
1: Right. Okay. Um, so the, as I said earlier, I think the very first common step is to like put the build automated so that it produces a binary. So that you know, basically, there are teams system of record as to what is the official output from that team. That's like a one very common pattern. And then once you have that, um, like a running tests all the time, that's the obvious next step because it really improves the return on investment for tests. Like if you rewrite tests once and then you use it all the time, which is great. Um, the other common things in larger organization I see is that the, it, it, it gets used as a means of tracking the code quality. So things like a code coverage um, or the, some kind of code, like a static code analyzer, or tracking some metrics. So one of the things that the Jenkins brings on the table is it, it keeps track of this like a timeline information. So it knows, say, say you're running the uh, find bugs, like looking at your Java source code, figuring out the potential, flagging the potential problems. So in, uh, yesterday, like it might say, oh, we got 55 problems. So which like a seven is critical. And then today it might say oh we have like a 70 problems with of which like any of them is critical then you can instantly see oh something bad is happening here um so whereas um so that that timeline trend information is actually very useful um and also jenkins has this side effect of making these reports far more visible to the people outside the team so if you are like a large large um, software development in which lots of sub-teams is responsible for their own parts. Then disseminating and sharing this information across the team so that the central guy can compare how different teams are doing, uh, having this transparency is really useful. So that's another common pattern is to see uh, this, uh, this kind of code analysis run regularly. And then obviously nowadays, like a lot lot more people is interested in completely automating the flow of the binary to the runtime environment. So those pe- for those people creating deployment, running tests against the deployment, and kind of gating these changes at the key points. So you might let the build and test happen automatically. But before you switch to say, uh, running s- deploying to staging, you might want some humans to come in and press the button. So the computer is still choreographing the entire activity, but at some key points at time, like you you can design humans to come in. So Jenkins has, in the last year, we added this system called Jenkins Workflow, and then that's really enabling this kind of use cases that we see all the time now.
0: How does Jenkins have synergy with a microservices architecture?
1: Right. Um, so I think the, so. One one aspect is that with, with microservices, emphasizing like a smaller, independent component, like you know, the, the changes driven to it, and that's the really, to deep the benefit. You know, the, you need the rapid deployment into the runtime. So that's something that the automation can provide, which is what Jenkins does. It's also the I think it's also important in like this, in like a more. Let's say autonomous or self-organizing services. You kind of want to keep somebody like you. Often need to keep track of what's running, what like what application is running, which versions. Like so, you need us like a snapshot picture of the whole thing, and so that also needs some kind of system of record as to like which version is deployed when. By who uh, you know, that sort of tracking information. and then that also needs like a is really useful because that's one system that knows when all these things have happened the another thing about microservices I think is that the because now the like a whole application is divided up into small chunks if you want to let's say so there's like a one one deployment that's the that's you know that's closely following the tip of the de- 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 development. And then you need to sort of progressively take it and then to the staging and then to the to the production environment. And if you think about things like that, then there's this act of integration work. The fact that you're bringing in these like a different versions, a small component, and making sure that the whole thing works together. And once you made sure that particular set of you know, versions that needs to be captured and frozen, and then needs to be reproduced is available elsewhere. That that adds to the additional. Need for the integrations, and then that kind of like uh, the bookkeeping—it's something the automation, like think, is it's pretty good at.
0: Do you think microservices makes for a more decentralized environment where you can push code more aggressively?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like that's the—I mean, the, in the—I think in many ways that's the key. That's like a, that's a key point of doing microservices: is that you can empower a small team to like take on the changes without while reducing the need of, like, you know, choreographing, coordinating their activity or changes with the broader, like, a uh, teams. So I think it's, yeah, I think it, it it really does encourage this distributed, you know, the decentralization of power to, like, uh, push changes into production.
0: Yeah. What are the other tools that can be used with Jenkins.
1: Um, So the thing with Jenkins is that we got the right now I think the 1,060-odd plugins to integrate Jenkins to just about anything. So we even have a plugin that lets you play Mario Kart or the Tetris or (laughs) with Chef or Puffet or so. Anything you you name it, then we have a plugin for it. So um, I think there's a lot of tools. Um, and if anything, because the, our, our I think the software engineering scene is quite diverse. Everyone has their favorite set of tools, and new one is coming along all the time. So um, this I think it kind of goes back to my earlier comment about okay, we need to be able to like okay, you know, everyone needs to be able to have their own sandbox to do anything. And to me, that's part of it.
0: So how can Chef be used with Jenkins?
1: so the um so chef uh, is a couple of ways, so the one of the thing is if you 're using Chef to manage your application runtime environment, then you know the Chef would allow you to basically speed up the automated deployment of new apps, and that's clearly useful if you 're talking about continuous uh, continuous delivery. Or if you're the ops people who like, are developing chef recipes, um, then you know as you make changes to the chef recipes, you want to make sure that the change is kosher. So you want to run tests, you want to run tint, you want to check they are OK. So that's something Jenkins can do very well. And then maybe finally, like, you, know, you can use Chef to install Jenkins. And some people do that. So that's another perhaps way to, to, to integrate Jenkins with Chef.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of checking if your recipes are kosher. I had not heard that uh, that double entendre before.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I I I go to Israel every year for the past five years or so because they have a they have, they had a good uh, Jenkins uh, community over there. So
0: that's funny. It's one of
1: the places close to my heart.
0: Um, what you mentioned containers? What are the synergies between Docker and Jenkins?
1: Right, yeah, so I mean obviously the docker is over the rage nowadays, so you have to have some stories uh, so I think you know, <laughs> there are several ones so um the you know the so if you if you use the con if if you are using container as a unit of development, right so like let's say back in i don't know maybe five years ago, like you might be uh like a java shop in which you'd be developing like a, a ear file or war file, which is a unit of deployment. But those are like, those days are long gone. Now a lot of people are deploying using container as a unit of the development. And then so if that's the model, um the, the whole runtime captured in a single image, single binary that can be moved around, tested, and launched, and thrown away like rapidly, it really makes it a whole lot easier to create a big continuous pipeline around them. So um you know you can spin up let's say five clones of the same application that's slightly different between them and test them and throw them away so now like you know we combine that with the automated like a scriptable choreographical power of Jenkins you can do a lot of different things so that's i think the one of the like a key so for me the Jenkins kind of adds to the value prop of docker so because with, if you if you kind of drink the docker kool aid you can um you can you, you can you can leave the benefit of the continuity of the more easily. The second aspect is actually the completely the other way around. That is, there's a lot of benefit in actually running Jenkins inside Docker and in particular the build environment. So a lot of people needs to, like, actually today, like a lot of company connects like hundreds of build machines into single Jenkins instance to distribute the workload. And then in this environment often the challenge is to make sure that the everyone's workload is nicely isolated. They don't leave any garbage behind that sort of things. So when you, you can, whereas you can use containers to sort of completely isolate every build and test so that they don't interfere with each other you can let developers control what that container is. So you can always, like a developer can control the right tools, like a, you know, build tools or versions and so on. So that's like another flip side of the Jenkins Docker integration that's very useful.
0: And for people who may have drank the Kool-Aid of Docker um, but don't quite know what Docker is, how would you differentiate the ability uh, of Jenkins to... Synergize with Docker as compared to what was available prior to Docker in terms of Linux containerization.
1: So the in continuous one, well, while well, integration and container stability, so one of the key idea is, you know, relatively be early on, you build a binary. So let's say you, know, you build a binary that capture the state of the program, like from the source code. And then as you then you incrementally expose that through the testing. And then until as you you, you you run more tests, different kinds of tests, and then it proves itself, you start to build the confidence to this particular binary. And then eventually that becomes the one that you ship or that that's the one that becomes that, that, that you run. So when this binary was, let's say, like executable, then you know the fact that it's binary and like uh, compiled together has some degree of cohesiveness in it, but it's still affected a lot by the environment around it. So the you know with containers there's a more of things packaged in one that's really I think like uh, makes the uh, the the principle of this you know binary reuse principle of continuous delivery stronger. Um, the if, you know before Docker I think the you know, yes, you could have used the LXC or um, the you know, kernels, like, uh, like I say. Maybe even directly use the clone, like a system call, to create these namespaces. But that wasn't that. You know, it didn't help you create this like a one cohesive binary, like an artifact, like a aka Docker image that allows you to kind of you know, carry through your pipeline. But to me, that's the difference. With LX, it was just a nice gimmick for the ops guys in the, at the very end of it, at the runtime, to isolate things. But it has no impact to the developers. With Docker, it's actually not the case, and that makes a lot of difference.
0: How does version control interact with Jenkins?
1: Oh boy, um, the so the yeah, how does it? I mean, the, yeah, I, I kind of. Can think of a life without version control system. So, what is it that? Um, so, I guess. So, one of the I think you know the, the if if you have sufficient machine powers, and nowadays everyone has more than sufficient machine powers. Now you could now it's uh, it's kind of becoming a reality that every commit can be tested separately, uh, and then you know to to the to a quite substantial degree. So that helps you. Uh, basically pin down the quality of the changes to each commit. And then that, I think it's kind of the uh, interesting aspects that nowadays is real, but, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how to, this is a difficult question to answer for me.
0: Okay. That's fine. Um, CloudBees recently announced integration with Kubernetes. Why is Kubernetes relevant for DevOps?
1: So the Kubernetes kind of goes back to the Docker story. Um, so the, you know, in, in Docker, while we are talking about Docker, I mentioned that you could, um, you know, one of the things is that it captured the whole runtime environment so into itself, and then you can launch it. So if, you're, if you think about, like, you know, you're, you're, produ- you're compiling your source code into the container, and you want to test them, and imagine like you have lots of people developing the, pushing new changes, so let's say like a one new commit coming in every minute, and your test takes like five hours to run. So in, in environments like that, uh, you want to take this container that was built, and then run it somewhere. You don't really care where it runs, you just need to be running it somewhere, and then run the test. And then at the end of it, you want to shut that down and completely throw it away because it was just a test environment. So um previously, like you know, these places, the runtime environment, the places that can actually run the application is mostly statically provisioned. So you can still go to many companies where they have a huge like a wall mounted T V that says, I have UAT1 environment, UAT2 environment, Dev1 and Dev2, and then somebody is basically like coordinating like a train coming into station, hey, I got it, like one team delivering this team beats. Oh, they can use the UAT1 environment because you know, that's available right now. And then like a five minutes later, another like a binary will come in, like I need some place to run, hey, you can use this like a Dev2 environment. So. The, the fact that the, when you only have static number of things, like you think about things like that, like okay, trying to arrange which train goes into which platform, but with Kubernetes, um, it allows you to create, basically it allows you to pool a large number of machines and then turn it into like a one massive place to run however many applications you need. So like, Jenkins no longer have to like, do this kind of traffic control. It could just create a new app and then run whatever and then throw it away at the end. And that, I think, is very useful.
0: Fantastic. Um, so we've talked about a lot of uh, far-reaching technologies. I'd like to bring us back to Earth in terms of the continuous delivery or continuous integration discussion with some more s- simple questions. If a user has both mobile and web application versions of their application, how does this fragmentation affect the continuous delivery process?
1: Um, so, yeah, so the, when you have those two pieces independently developed, there arises this need for integration. So let's say, you know, I'd imagine two teams independently working on those with some degree of collaboration, And so that means make sure we need to make sure that what they're producing will work together. And when they start to get out of sync, like we want to no know SAP. And then, or like we want, we need to capture the, like a two, like a version of backend and the mobile app that's known to work together so that they can together go into production, right? So that kind of, like, uh, the, the choreography, coordination, discovering the problem early on is what Jenkins is good at. So it's somewhat, like, a similar to the micro-services, uh, but a lot smaller scale. Yes.
0: Yeah. So how does continuous integration affect A-B testing?
1: Um, I So, yeah, I don't think the so the continuous integration Integration itself doesn't have kind of direct impact in there, but the, where it's kind of becomes, I suppose, relevant is you know when you're running, when you're at the point of um, doing A/B testing, um, you one you need to kind of be able to track back to like what version of things are running where because you are trying to compare those two things. Um, and then they originate from some changes. The fact that you need you need this some degree of traceability, as in like a what set of source code was used to run here. So that's something automation like Jenkins could really do, provide very well. And also, um, you know, you need you need a very sophisticated deployment automation to be able to create that kind of environment. And I think that's something you know people usually have that kind of thing. It's for them. You know, they 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 did, did most of the homework that's necessary to do a sophisticated CD. So they they usually do that. Um, so it kind of goes hand in hand because it's in the same space. But I don't think I don't know if one directly impacts the other.
0: Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Right. Um, why is it important to run tests in a non-developer machine prior to pushing to production?
1: I think yeah so one one is i think well there so there are a couple of answers to that i think is so the one I think is that um um is that it's it's much cheaper to use servers to run these tests and then free up the developers' time and attention to work on something else because humans are incredibly expensive now compared to computers, so every second that the you know people are uh, wiggling their fingers waiting for the test to complete that's that's a wasted money, so I think there's definitely that. Um, I think the another part of it is often like a, a team of engineers need like a common, basically like a common like, understanding, common agreement, like a common state of the system. So when you're running a test on somebody's machine, the guy gets to see the results, but it's not shared with others. So for the team to come on, like a, together, sign off that the bit is good, it's really useful to have it somewhere that everyone would clearly see and agree on. So I think that's another important part.
0: Does continuous integration change or eliminate the need for QA? Uh,
1: I think it does change the role somewhat. You know, when I was originally at Sun, I, the, that was ten years ago. Um, a, sub, a quite a non-trivial part of the QA people's time was spent on actually running the test. You know, they are getting the they are picking up the bits that the developer they were. They run the test and then then report back the result into. You know, they analyze the failure and report that back to the, to the to the developers. In addition to you know the actual act of writing tests, um, so I think you know the, if you can automate the execution of these tests on Jenkins, and then you know you can also make it automatically happen every time a new binary occurs. so you don't have to be constantly looking at your inbox for the email from Dev to. We run the tests. So that really helps. Um, you know, the, the test Jenkins to give you the test report comprehension. You can start to see, you can see, for example, um, the, like, uh, this particular test has been failing for the past two weeks, whereas that test is a new failure. And then that helps developers see, oh, I made change yesterday and this test started failing from yesterday. So I'm probably I probably need to look at that. And there is another test that's failing for two weeks. I'm probably not related to that, so I'm not going to pay attention to that. And that's a kind of knowledge previously only QA people have known because they, you know. So it helps you disseminate the information automatically, so that you can focus on more the critical part of the QA, which is to you know, kind of, you know to interact with the to write tests and uh, design, help design software in a more testable way, that sort of thing. So it just evolves, but it doesn't eliminate the QA need.
0: Are there any continuous integration anti-patterns?
1: I think the only anti-pattern that I can think of is basically stop paying attention to what um what the uh what all the problems that the CI server is reporting. Because I mean in many ways the, the point it is only useful if it creates a it creates this feedback cycle. And so you do something and you know, Jenkins to recognize that, um, and then you know the reports back the result like a failure, and then the developer acts on it like I fix the problem. So if that doesn't happen, then um, well, then well, you, know, you, you it's almost as if it didn't exist so i there's like a number of funny plugins in jenkins like a one one is that called chuck norris plugin and then the, the, what that does it has it zero useful functionality but when you install that plugin like every page in jenkins would show this funny chuck norris quote. like you know the, <laughs> the, the chuck norris can debug a problem by just like a staring at it and so on and then it, it's like silly joke plugin, but. Much data, I recognize it. It was actually serving very useful purposes. That, that is, it makes people want to come back. Uh-huh. it, it Make people want to pay attention to what's going on there, and right. that's crucial, actually.
0: The habit forming behavior. Yeah. Um, so Jenkins has been around now for about five years. What has changed in that time?
1: Um. So there's a number of changes. Um, I think the one that I'm kind of most excited about right now is called the Jenkins workflow. You know, I touched that that a little bit earlier. But uh, you know, people are like, because the domain of automation is expanding to a larger scope. We need more capable tool to describe that automation as a chain, like you know, the activity that needs to be choreographed. Often across multiple machines, sometimes with human input at the key point, and visualize them and stuff like that. So uh, the Jenkins workflow is the new subsystem that we've been, I think, been around for about a year now, and that is, you know, I think, it's really useful tool to cater to the needs of the people. Um, there's another interesting effort um, called the. Well, this one actually still has a no good name, um, but. Um like historically we've been called it as a retreat project. Now the idea is um we want so the original the one of the Jenkins original feature is well like if you want to make Jenkins do something, you have to come to Jenkins UI and configure them. So you basically teach this butler, hey, when this happens, do this, do that, and then do something else, and then if it fails, tell these people, if it succeeds, then do this and that sort of thing. Um, so a lot of it was UI-based configuration, and that was helpful in many ways to like get the you know, new people ramping up on board. But if you like, if you fully embrace the uh, this uh, like a continuous integration or continuous delivery, you have like two hundred applications. You can't really like manually tell Jenkins what to do for each of these two hundred apps. So people are increasingly looking for ways to do more scalable. Like a more with scalable Jenkins with very little configuration. So there's a the project that's going on to define this kind of instruction inside the source code repository, so that you can very easily cut and paste. There's another effort going on called Job DSL plugin that's a, that allows you to basically script the job creation. So you can you can write the program that teaches Jenkins like what to do these 200 things. By using a one fold loop, for example, so that's another, I think, exciting thing. So those are, I think, the kind of things that have recently changed. It's an evolving project. It's lots of like you know, thriving developer community, writing plugins, just and write every day. So I can't keep track of everything, but that's the kind of thing that I'm sort of, I'm personally excited about.
0: What is the most important aspect of continuous delivery that we have not discussed?
1: Um, yeah, what's the most What's the, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I felt like we covered a lot of ground, so I'm actually quite happy. Um, yeah, I think, well, I guess the, yeah, so one thing I'd add um, so when I originally, so this project started as my hobby project, and I, even though I was using it at the day job, I was, you know, because I was just an engineer working on it, and I didn't have the guts to go ask for money. So, uh, you know, for this, for longest time, it was just like a, my, running on my, like a computer under my desk, and it was really grinding me like whole hot and whatnot. So there's, um, whereas, like, uh, in continuous delivery, like, it, it's actually a term that can, you can explain it very well to, like, a less technical people. And as an engineer, like, I used to, like, you know, underestimate the usefulness of it, Like, I mean, I'm the one that's solving the problem. And like you know, then they, they well they well they have to bring my paycheck, but that's the extent in which I care about them. But um, the, the fact that when you can, I think it's sort of the value of being able to explain this like a, what we are, what this automation is bringing to other people, I, I find I find that it's actually very powerful because they appreciate what you're doing, they're willing to have you do more, and they have other resources that they can help you. They can't write code, but they can send you more machines, and I love it. So, yeah.
0: What is in the future for CloudBees?
1: Well, I'd love to know that. I think it's so far it's been a roller coaster ride. I think you, um, we really find, you know, as the ex, as the uh, adoption of the continuous area and Jenkins expands like uh, quite exponentially, like our company has been growing very rapidly, nicely. So, um, I think you know if if this space is going to continue for a few more years I, I, yeah. so it's, it's, it's been quite an exciting ride so I'm kind of curious where this ride is going to take to, I, I'd love to see some closure into this chapter of my life in one way or in another
0: <laughs> Okay, cool Well, Kosuke Kawaguchi thanks for coming out to Software Engineering Daily it's been great talking to you